Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. this time period we had between our last show and this show, uh, we became an even bigger joke in Major League Baseball when Will Craig forgot that he could just step on first base to end an inning. And it was maybe the most infuriating, stupidest play I've ever watched in my entire life. And we can't, you know, getting into it too much, Craig, would just be silly because it happened a while ago, but we never got the chance to talk about it. But yeah. but that right there is why you spent so much time in the minor leagues, Will Craig. That that right there. That the 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 inability to understand that with two outs, when he starts running back towards home plate, when Javi Baez of the Cubs turns around and starts running back to home plate with two outs, you just walk over and touch first. Or if you screw up and get yourself sucked into this, that the runner doesn't count until Javi Baez makes it the first. So just tag him. Just just run all the way back and tag him. It was just, yeah. it was, I mean, you know, that's why if he ever sits down in his career and thinks to himself, was I blocked? Is there a reason why I didn't move up as quick as I did that right there? An inability to play the game of baseball. And the only thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think that because we now focus so much on the three true outcomes and the launch angle and all this other stuff, all this statistic driven way of playing baseball have guys forgotten how to just play baseball have guys forgotten the rules i mean if i play softball in the summer i know that rule i wouldn't make that mistake you know and i don't get paid to put on a uniform so i'm starting to wonder like i mean is it is it because and i'm curious what your 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 thoughts are here craig do you think that is because and, and and this is what i the only thing i really wanted to bring up about it do you think that is because we have a generation of ball players that did nothing but do like travel ball clinics, all this stuff that they were focusing on as they were coming up throughout the ranks, even from when they were little and never just learned the game. Cause they don't, they don't watch enough of the game being played because they're just participating in all these things, getting them ready to eventually become a ball player. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's some piece of that, but maybe not like encapsulated in that play. I think that what happened with him and after hearing him talk about it, because, you know, he had to go in front of the media and talk about it, where he said, you know, I'm used to something happening. And he just kind of expected, you saw him take a step forward and he expected, you know, Baez at that point in time, he was pulled off the bag. What's your immediate reaction uh, as a first baseman would be to, reach out and tag the guy. I mean, that would be honestly like the first reaction. It's like, I'm pulled off the bag. I'm going to try this little sweep here. And he turned around and he was just like, oh, he's just going to run into my glove. The inning's over. And when he went back home, it's like one of those things where it's like, 
I never expected this to happen. So his brain was just like, I don't know what to do at this point. I I think that, yes, it's one of the worst plays. Yes, he should have stepped on first base. Yes, he should have tagged him. Uh, there was just a lot of goofy stuff that went on there. But I can see where you're coming from, Chris, where it's like a player gets a ball and, and they don't know, you know, what base should I throw to first? Where is the first play at? I mean, I could see that a lot with, with players at times. And they'll say, oh, this guy just has like an innate ability to play baseball. They know where this ball is going even before like it gets to them and they have every scenario worked out inside their head. I think that that Will Craig is inexperienced. He was a gold glover, you know, a good heads up ball player down in the minor leagues. And I'm going to honestly, at some point in time right now, I've just kind of given him a pass that that was just one big giant brain fart that he did not react well because the guy did something out of the ordinary he did not take that like who thought that somebody would run away from first base back to home plate right but here but here's the thing and and let me expound on this a little bit i saw a play this past memorial day weekend uh it was the cleveland indians who caught a runner in a rundown between first and second with two outs and the runner is yelling to the guy on third to go home while he's in the middle of a rundown. And at no point do the Indians throw the ball home. At no point does a guy with a baseball at least check that runner because they're so focused. I feel like I'm watching plays every once in a while when I'm watching the game of baseball now in this era that would never have happened in the 80s when we were kids. That would never have happened in the 90s. That players seemed like they understood just like all the nuances of the game. But then again, those players were being taught to play ball. Those players went out and found their friends and said, hey, you want to go play ball? And they got into every weird situation possible because it wasn't a highly coached game. Like, remember when you and I were kids? Like, you know, I'm going to date myself right now, okay? I'm 44 years old. You'd walk up the street, you'd find a couple of kids, you'd end up at a park, and you'd play. You'd organize a game and just play the game. And because you didn't have a coach there, you'd start screwing around. And so you learn, like, all these weird things because you screw around. I actually feel like when I see guys that come over from other cultures that play, when the South American players come over, when the Cuban players are here, okay, they... They have, they still have that as part of their culture. They still play very unorganized baseball with their friends. Okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, American kids have had have had playdates organized for them for the last twenty five years. Right? They didn't even call up kids on the phone. They, they, you know, they, they're everything is so highly coached, and that's that's what I'm getting at. Like that, I'm noticing these things happen, and I always feel like that the people that come from a culture where the kids still go out and play. And is that organized by their parents seem to be the smarter ball players. Like I thought right off the top of my head, I was having a conversation with my dad and I go, would this guy make that play? No. Would this guy have made that play? No. Would this guy made that play? No, that they, they, they would have known what to do. And I'm like, and, and that's, that's the thing I'm trying to figure out is do we just culturally have a, a generation that's there that's younger than me and you, Craig, that never did anything that wasn't highly coached. That, that maybe grew up, I think we're finally getting to the players that grew up playing baseball with that silly orange bag next to first base, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that didn't have like, that may never have gone out onto a field and just thrown down a couple of extra mitts to play a game because they didn't have bases. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm wondering whether or not that's a thing now that we have guys that are highly talented, highly skilled, but highly drilled. So when something odd happens, they don't know what to do. And that, that was what struck me when I watched the play. The more I thought about that play, the more I thought, this is not just Will Craig. This is, we have that generation getting here that's behind us that we always kind of sit there and say, they, they really have far more structure to everything that they do where we would still run out and go play. I, I yell at my own kids, go grab a ball, go play with your friends. They don't even know how to do it. Yeah. So I, I just feel like that also contributes to it. Maybe I'm a crazy old man yelling at a cloud like Homer Simpson's dad. You could be, but the, the other part is, is, I mean, not to even bring it up, is I was just watching a, a highlight from, I think it was Fernando Tatis was in a rundown, and the ball actually beat him to second base, and instead of, like, reaching out to tag him, the guy stood there thinking that he would just run into it. Fernando Tatis just stopped running and just slid his foot into second base and was just stuck his foot out and was safe because the guy was just waiting there thinking, oh yeah, he's just gonna he's just gonna run into me. So like what do I have to do instead of just actually tagging the player? The non-American ball players play a different brand of baseball. Only Javi Bias would think of that, right? I mean, you, yeah. Tatis goes and does something like that. I see when you see these amazing plays or these really smart things or just as backyard baseball. It feels like it's a cultural thing. It's a thing that you and I would do. It's a thing that you w- used to be able to watch a guy like Mike Schmidt do for the Phillies, right? It used to be a yeah. thing that you would watch every player knew how to do that, right? But doesn't it feel like, you know, your, your white bread American boys generally don't play the game that way? Yeah. You know? Because they've been, they've been watching videos and being drilled. And again, there it is. An expectation that guy would just give himself up. An expectation he would do exactly what every other kid does in a drill. Yeah. Because it's almost like we're making ball players now. I mean, think about it at a level like I I mean, your kids are a little younger than mine, right? But I've coached, I've coached sports, I, I've coached baseball. My daughter went all the way up in a girls' softball league that's highly competitive. She has a state championship ring. But when I would coach the team, I would find myself telling them these little things like, you know, you can get away with this. You know you can pull this move, right? And it was stuff they weren't being taught. Yeah. And you would, and, and, and it's the thing, like because it's always like you do this, you follow this video, you follow this skill set, you you work on these certain things. We're building ball players, and they're not actually going out and just playing the game for fun, which also then becomes an even bigger discussion when you see that there's a culture that is far more into the fun of the game where you still have another part of the uh, of baseball that thinks that bat flips are wrong and and celebrating late in the game is wrong and this has been a discussion that's already popped up across the game of baseball again this year. So uh, it, it, to me that's what I thought of when I saw that play. He was acting like a robot that just does drills and was confused by somebody who was playing backyard baseball who was going up to the park and throwing like a couple of pieces of garbage, you know, like, like remember the old foam styrofoam containers from your filet of fish or your Big Mac at McDonald's. Right. And those things are laying around the ballpark and you're throwing them out there as a base. Like that's what that looked like when I watched that play. Yeah. And those, and those things were sacred and it was whoever, like, it's like I'm the first baseman. My goal is to catch the ball and touch that little thing, as opposed to even paying attention to what the guy's doing. I know what you're saying, Chris. I, I think that's a it's, it's a good way to think about it and look at it. 
And I actually didn't think about that because I just listened to him say braid fart and you took it as he probably did just because he didn't know how to react when somebody didn't do exactly what has been taught and what is supposed to happen as opposed to, okay, here's something that happened like a little bit off the cuff. It's the kids from the Sandlot versus the kids from the organized baseball game. If you love that movie, like that's, that's the comparison right there. I like the Sandlot kids. We all like the Sandlot kids. That, that doesn't exist really in American baseball when you're coming up as a kid. It should. More of that should exist. Instead of our kids having like playdates set up for them and uh, being stuck to a device. If they were out and they were doing things, moments like that would have happened before in their lives when somebody jumped off script. And then maybe you don't see those kind of brain farts. I don't blame Will Craig as much as I blame the culture that he grew up in. Anyway, who do you have right now coming up here? Uh, we have Andrew Kappas. He is the broadcaster. He's one of the broadcasters for the Indianapolis Indians. Um, he's here to talk about you know some current Buckos because he's been there for a while. Some some current Indianapolis Indians, and also a few guys from the Altoona Curve that he thinks he's going to see before the end of the season. And he's next right here on Bucks in the Basement. Found everywhere podcasts can be found, and always at BucksInTheBasement.com. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. I had reached out to the Indianapolis Indians and they were gracious enough. Uh, one of the voices of the Indians, Andrew Kappas, is here today. Andrew, welcome to Bucks in the Basement. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing good. It is uh, it is year number six, and uh, sorry to disappoint the listeners. I, I have not previously played for the Pirates. Um, <laughs> I, I peaked in JV of uh, like junior year of high school, so that was a long time ago. Figuring that's like all of us at this point in time. I'm I'm a I'm a washed up uh, JV catcher um, at this point in time. I don't even know if I could uh, even call myself that anymore. But but Andrew, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Pirate system, uh, where it's going, where it's been. With this year, it's it's a it's a unique situation, uh, just because uh, with the Pirates in a rebuilding year, we've seen kind of like that flow of players coming up and down from you know Indianapolis coming back up, and this year you can only get promoted from Indianapolis. Previously, you know you know you may see some of those uh, those weird double A promotions straight up and just skip uh, for some players that might be on the forty man roster, but we've seen a. a a decent amount of guys that have been going up and down so far this year. I wanted to talk to you first, Andrew, about guys that you have seen that are on the current Pirates roster, maybe in your time in Indianapolis, uh, and some guys that maybe you were like, uh, this guy has something before he even uh, reached the Pirates. Is there 
Is there a pitcher or maybe a position player that's currently on the Pirates right now that you saw in Indianapolis and thought, and you can't use Cabrian Hayes, that's that's my always my thing, because everybody would just always go to the easy answer. Is there a guy who's on the roster right now uh, that you kind of looked at and said, yeah, th- there may be something with this guy? Yeah, for me, it's, it's uh, Jacob Stallings, um, because when he came to Indianapolis, he was a catcher-first guy, not much of a hitter, but even then, even with that skill set, you thought, you know, he could probably go up there and be a number two catcher because, A, his defensive prowess and his ability to call a game and to frame pitches, but, B, he was just really good with pitchers. Uh, you know, stuff that you can't see in a game, stuff that I can't see very well, but the limited scope I did get watching him, you know, throw bullpens with guys like Tyler Glass now and uh, guys like Jamison Tyone. And you could see that development from the mental side of things. You thought, man, this guy's got something. Well, then all of a sudden he started hitting, and he hit for 300 or over 300. He hit 301. He had a hit on the last day of the season, a uh, little grounder up the middle past Brendan Ryan, former big leaguer, uh, to go from 298 to 301 and then got taken out of the game. Uh, and like, well, <laughs> this guy's hitting 300, and, and you had all these skills before then, so this guy can really be something. And he wasn't getting much chatter, and I didn't understand why. And he went up and, and seemingly played really well anytime he got a chance to play, which he wasn't playing a whole lot in the beginning under the old system. And that's really hard to do when you're only playing two or three days a week to play very well in those two or three days, basically being cold all the time. And uh, now we see what he's doing as the starter and something I never thought he would be, the cleanup man. So, you know, he's a great guy and a, and a guy that's really, really good with pitchers. So I think he's a guy that's great to have when you have a team like Pittsburgh that, as you mentioned, is going to have a lot of young players, both position players and uh, and pitchers kind of cycling through. Yeah, it was like almost like uh, Jacob Stallings. He's like a student of the game. He he studies stuff that you know other players might miss, and and that's like a a pretty big thing. And for uh, I don't know if it was in Pittsburgh because you know people didn't like his dad as being you know the coach. Uh, <laughs> didn't have like the best you know. The, the best uh, reputation and, and kind of like left on, on a bad note, which happens to a lot of people in Pittsburgh. But so I don't know if that was part of it or not. But yeah, Jacob Stallings is a guy that he definitely didn't get a lot, got the, you know, the DFA and didn't think if he was going to make much. But turning the focus to uh, the, the current team right now, like I said, there's been a bunch of guys that have gone up and down. We've gotten to see, you know, M- Miguel Yahure. We've uh, gotten to see Cody Ponce again this year. Uh, of course, you know, Anthony Alford, Dustin, Dustin Fowler are all down there. Is there any guy that you could see on the roster right now who we have not seen yet in Pittsburgh? Uh, I would probably go with maybe one pitcher and one position player who you would think that, you know what, I think people in Pittsburgh are going to be kind of happy when that guy finally makes it up there. Well, I think if, if you're picking one hitter, uh, for me, it's Chris Sharp. Uh, his numbers, if you look at it in a traditional sense, they don't really pop out at you greatly. Um, he's hitting 246 overall with with, uh, with the Indians. But 10 of his 16 hits have been extra base hits, eight doubles, two homers. I think those homers are going to come once the weather gets a little warmer. Um, we're using a new ball in AAA this year. It's not the uh, it's not the juiced ball that, that we had the last couple of years. <laughs> so he, he might have had six or seven home runs, if not more, under the old the old setup with the old ball, but uh, that's an on base percentage of 395, and uh, and he hits the ball really hard. I mean, really hard. I don't know what his his exit velo is uh, to be exact. We don't have that kind of advanced stat metrics on a daily basis in AAA, especially on the road. But uh, but he seemingly hits the ball hard. I've seen him make a really number of great catches in both corner spots in the outfield and right and left. 
So I, I think he's a guy that you could see possibly as late as early as this year uh, helping out up there and getting and getting some significant playing time. And uh, it, it's, in terms of pitching, it, it's a little bit more interesting because uh, we a lot of the, the prospects, as you spoke of, aren't really at Indianapolis yet in terms of pitching. Uh, Yohore has been really good for the Indians. It's a 3-7-1 in 17 innings, 17 strikeouts. And he's actually, you could argue, pitched better um, in Pittsburgh than he has in Indianapolis, which is which is always interesting. But uh, but the one name I'm going to throw out, he's not really a prospect because of his age. He's in his late 20s. Uh, but Yando Gustave is throwing 101 miles an hour in AAA, and uh, it's it's really fun to watch him watch him pitch. Um, he's the you don't really name closers, at least most teams don't in AAA, but he is the de facto Indians closer, and uh, he's three for three in the save category. He's got 10 strikeouts in seven innings, and and the crazy thing is. You think a guy that's throwing 101 miles an hour may not always know where it's going. And he, he has had control issues in the past, but he's only got two walks in seven and a third innings this year. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see if he'll get a shot up there uh, because it's hard to ignore uh, that velo when you're when you're hitting triple digits on the uh, on the radar gun. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something that, that's interesting. It's a it's one of those under like kind of the radar pickups uh, that Ben Sherrington makes where it's like something that happens where it's like, oh, we picked up this guy and then you don't hear about him a lot. And there's. Like you said, there's there's other prospect names that that maybe stick out more and that people are, you know, trying to focus on more. The one thing I noticed, I was talking to uh, my buddy Gary Morgan uh, inside the Bucks basement that we kind of have our nice little blog over there, and we were talking about how you know Ben Charrington, and I don't know if it's it's his tutelage or if it's Hanrahan or uh, Esposito that a lot of the the pitchers who had been uh, kind of like marked as maybe relief pitchers uh, are being almost like stretched out to a degree. Uh, one of the examples that I gave uh, most recently was uh, Bo Solcer. He had, you know, become uh, more of like a de facto setup man um, in Altoona with, with Matt Eckelman. Um, and since he's come uh, to Indianapolis this year, I've uh, been put into a little bit more of a starter's role. Is that something that you've seen uh, with Indianapolis? Is that, you know, less of that, you know, here's your role, this is, you know, what you're going to be, and more of let's find out what you can do for us um, if you would be called up. Is is that something you're seeing happening this year? I think it is, and you have to give a lot of credit to this new administration. And I say new; it's been it's been a couple of years, but since we didn't have a minor league season, it's really all new to us. And uh, and you hit the nail on the head. It really is about we're not going to pigeonhole somebody into what we think they are. Um, we're going to we're going to give people opportunities, and, and that's kind of what has happened with a few guys. Um, you mentioned both those Solcer. Uh, he, he has done pretty well. Uh, he's not fully stretched out. I don't know if that's going to be the, the plan is to go six or seven, but he's averaging right around four to five innings per start, but he doesn't walk anybody. He's got three walks in 17 innings. He's got 17 strikeouts, a high hit total, but I, th- I think that's a little bit of an anomaly more than anything in his four starts. So, but, but the bigger picture is it was what's exciting, I think, for a Pirates fan and what's exciting if you're a Pirates prospect is that you're not going to be pigeonholed from spring training it's, it's you're not going to have a predefined role and that's your role from spring training till labor day or after the season in, in september it's uh, it really is sort of an open competition and, and i think that's the best way to do things especially at the minor leagues when guys are are still developing yeah it's it's definitely it's it's a different approach uh not assigning those roles not you know like you said pigeonholing people into stuff and just letting them you know kind of be 
uh, versatile. That's like a word that's used a lot uh, with this new regime is, is they like versatility. They like players that can play, you know, different positions. One of those guys uh, we've seen already, you know, Hunter Owen, who is a guy who can play, you know, all over the field. A guy that we really haven't seen recently, and I'm not sure if he's he's even in Indianapolis right now, is I want to talk a little bit about, you talked about Chris Sharp, uh, another guy who was a good Altoona outfielder, uh, Jared Oliva. Uh, have you uh, heard any inklings or anything about uh, Jared Oliva? Have you seen him around or anything? Uh, I'm on Jared Oliva watch. I'm a Jared Oliva fan. So, and he's my son's <laughs> he's my son's uh, favorite player just because he threw him a baseball and signed it. Because that's how you become, you know, that's a great thing about minor league baseball. But uh, uh, any news or anything on on Jared that you you could share with us or that you may know? So he's on the injured list right now. He's on he's on Indianapolis's uh, injured list. Um, and I'm with you. I'm really excited to see him because he's a guy that that had the pandemic not happened. Uh, I think he would have done really well in Indianapolis last year and uh, and then possibly been in Pittsburgh this year. So maybe him more than anybody, the pandemic was kind of uh, uh, flowed down his his timeline and then the injury uh, further complicated things. So I'm not really sure where he is on the progression um, or anything like that coming off the injured list. Can't really talk a whole lot about that side of things, but, uh, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm really excited uh, for, for when, whenever he does make that debut um, because uh, he's a guy that you look at his track record. He was a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, I don't want to say a late bloomer, but he really broke out onto the scene, as you mentioned, in 2019 in Altoona. And uh, so we're really excited to see him in Indianapolis to see what he can do in AAA. And uh, because of that year off, that, that year and a half, you know, who knows how he looked in the, uh, the at the alternate site last year. He's a guy that once he does get to Indianapolis, he might he might not here long uh to, to be honest just, just if he plays well yeah he's been a guy that's like you said it was it was the the mark of the pandemic of him had done well in altoona uh, and then continue that into the arizona fall league and was just set up to you know charge onto the scene last year in indianapolis and when when the season got you know canceled he was kind of like a, a victim of circumstance and that and then of course this year with a little bit of the injury but but he's a guy that i I'm definitely very interested in, but I want to I want to turn the tables to the guy because I know you're 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 a minor league baseball fan. You've been in the industry for I think you told me it was about 11 years now, or maybe going on 12 years. So you're you're kind of tapped into the industry itself. So when you look down um, to Altoona and you look for those guys that are coming up, because it's something you've probably been doing, because you got to know a little bit about these guys. You got to because when they come up, it's like you got to have a little bit of the background story and a little bit. Uh, tapped into it so who are some guys maybe in Altoona that you're thinking man I can't wait till they uh they make it up here to Indianapolis so I can see them play you know in person this year well if I want to be lazy I'll just say who everybody else would say and that, that's O'Neill Cruz <laughs> um, <laughs> which I am which I am excited to see O'Neill Cruz don't get don't get me wrong um but uh but there's two guys that, that I'm really interested in seeing and I think we we may see um at some point this year and that's Mason Martin and, and Cal Mitchell um, both have some pretty good pop. Martin playing at first base, and then Mitchell in the outfield. They, they each have three home runs this year, um, each hitting right around that that 270 mark. Um, but uh, but Martin wasn't exactly a high pick, uh, 17th rounder in, in 2017. But I think he's had, he's carved out a pretty nice minor league career for him so far, and uh, and I'm curious to see what he's able to do uh, the rest of the year in Altoona. It's, it's off to a pretty good start, but he's only 21 years old, you know, in Double A. 
So that that's young uh, for for a guy to be in Double A, especially a high school draft pick, and uh, and he's handling himself well. And then uh, for for Cal Mitchell, kind of the opposite as far as uh, you know, he was a second round pick, 50th overall in 2017. Another guy that maybe got a little bit slowed down by the pandemic. So many guys were, um, but he. But he's really shining at, at age 22 in Altoona right now, hitting 271. Showing a little bit of speed, a little bit of pop as well. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see what those guys um, will, will look like once they get to Indianapolis, whether it be this year or, uh, or to start the year uh, next year. Yeah, and that's those are guys that I, I'm keeping an eye on as well. I, I'm, Altoona's a little bit closer. It's actually, people don't know, it's like two and a half hours, and, and Indianapolis isn't, uh, it's about five, five and a half hours from here. So... I make I make one to two trips to to Indianapolis and probably about five or six to Altoona. So I, I know that a lot of people are saying that you know Altoona and of course Greensboro and and those different places are are a little bit more exciting because of you know the prospect names and just different things. But uh, there's there's definitely a, a reason to go out to the Vic. So I we were talking about before this that the. Uh, I think you said the seating's up to about uh, 50% right now out at the Vic. Is that correct? Yeah, 50% right now, and uh, so that's that's good. That's about six or seven thousand, if I'm doing my uh, my mental math correct. But uh, but you know, hopefully, we continue to make uh, make progress on that. And uh, you know, the one name I did want to mention, I, I I feel like I'm being hitting heavy right now. But the one name in Altoona that that uh, I'm not sure if we'll see him this year in Indianapolis. Uh, because he is 21 years old and he is a pitcher, and I think they do want to be a little bit cautious with him. But uh, as you know, it's really hard to not be excited about Ronzi Contreras, what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. Right now, 30, 34 strikeouts in 21 innings. He's got that ERA right around two. Uh, and, and you know, I, I talked to a couple of people that, that were actually more excited about him than any other name in, in that deal that they made with the Yankees for Jamison Tyone. And uh, he was a guy that, that was making a pretty big jump. He was in low A in 2019, put up good numbers. Uh, but that's a big jump after essentially a, a whole year off to go from low A to double A at the age of 21. And uh, and he's, he's handling it really well, granted, only through a handful of starts. Um, but, uh, but yeah, victory fields at 50% capacity. We're, we're kind of like everybody else right now. We're just kind of um, – we see that light at the end of the tunnel um, as, as things kind of open back up. And uh, but the one thing that 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 even though it was 25 percent, uh, we haven't had a home game yet. Uh, in, in obviously it's not June yet, um, but we don't have a home game for another week. And uh, and what I'm really excited about is seeing that 50 percent. But even at 25 uh, opening night, it was electric like a victory field. I don't know if it was because of the layoff of having fans in buildings, because I do a lot of college basketball, too. So there's been a lot of empty arenas, empty stadiums for me for the last you know year plus. But, uh, but even 3,000 fans, it, it sounded really loud in the Vic. And it was just kind of a, a, a nice little, uh, a little mini win, I guess you could say, for us <laughs> as, as, a, as a, the human race uh, kind of getting out of this pandemic to see, uh, to see folks doing just a normal thing and, uh, and going out to a game. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just awesome to see. It's awesome to hear. Andrew, it has been, it's been a great uh, talk here. I I can't wait to do it again. I can't wait to to be back out there at the Vic. Uh, and for anybody uh, that doesn't uh, doesn't follow Andrew, he is on Twitter. It is Capus K A P P E S, and it's P X P, and that would be play by play. He's uh, Andrew Capus uh, from the Indianapolis Indians broadcaster. 
Andrew, thank you so much. Like I said, brother, can't wait to do it again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Look forward to uh, checking in uh, later on in the year. Appreciate it, my man. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.